welcome back to A Better World. I'm very glad you're joining us again. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. And today we are celebrating Earth Day. And to do so, I have invited two very special women to join me in a roundtable on the subject of the Earth Day celebration and climate change and understanding some of the basics of creating a green, renewable, energy-based economy. Hazel Henderson, who has been on with me several times in the past, and Claudine Schneider, it'll be her first time joining me, and I'm very glad to welcome them both. First, a few introductory comments about the state in which we find ourselves on this Earth Day some 47 years after the first one. And that is we find that we are in an environmental state on this planet that is becoming increasingly dire, and those wielding the largest levels of power in the United States are in denial of the reality of the situation. That this situation, which has been articulated by climatologists all over the world. Science, we need to remind the current administration and others, is not simply a belief system on the level of others, but is a way of really understanding objectively some of what it is that is going on around us. So we'll be launching into that in just a moment. I want to just say a few introductory words about both of our guests, I'm going to abbreviate the long list of their biographical material because that could take half the show in itself. So remarkable are both of these women. Hazel Henderson is the founder of Ethical Markets Media and the creator and co-executive producer of its TV series. She is a world-renowned futurist, evolutionary economist, a worldwide syndicated columnist, consultant on sustainable development, and author of the Axiom and Nautilus award-winning book, Ethical Markets, Growing the Green Economy, and eight other books. She has co-edited with Harlan Cleveland and Inga Call, the UN Policy and Financing Alternatives. Her editorials appear in 27 languages and in 200 newspapers syndicated by Interpress Service, Rome, New York, Washington, and on. The list is remarkable, and I recommend that for more on Hazel's work, you go to www.ethicalmarkets.com. Claudine Schneider is a former Republican United States representative from Rhode Island. She was the first and to date only woman elected to Congress from Rhode Island, conceived and produced the first live and unedited satellite television transmission between members of Congress and members of the Supreme Soviet in an Emmy-winning series on ABC's Nightline. Since leaving Congress, represented the United States unofficially in many high-level forums where she was asked to deliver speeches. Usually, she was the only American around. She has been very involved in advancing the cause of understanding of climate change, legislation about it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, she brought forth the first climate change legislation in the United States Congress. We'll be learning more about that as the show goes on. She has been an international entrepreneur and consultant helping countries 
and corporations become more attuned to the environment, energy efficiency, and doing things, well, in this roundtable, we say doing them right. So welcome both Hazel and Claudine to A Better World. It's really a pleasure to have you both. Thank you, Rachel. Sure, absolutely. Uh, first of all, also, happy Earth Day. I know it's passed by a few days, but we're we're still in the orb of it. We're still in the midst of it, and uh, hence today's uh, roundtable. Hazel, would you, you, you have put together what you call the green scoreboard. It's a remarkable way of tracking trends happening worldwide in what is happening with the growing green economy. Can you share with us a little bit about what's going on in that regard? Yes, well, particularly I think it's encouraging uh, with this current political climate where we have fossil fuel interest groups uh, that are still holding back um, the greening of finance. Uh, what we looked at and have been looking at for um, since 2007 is private investments in green sectors worldwide, uh, individuals, people like me and, and you, Mitchell, because I know you're uh, also a green technology expert, as is Claudine. Mm-hmm. And so what uh, we find is that uh, over the past 10 years that we have been uh, doing this total every year, we have found, amazingly enough, that it's come in at about $1 trillion a year, which is quite extraordinary. And so, you know, while all of the climate change um, meetings at the UN, uh, the country representatives of having to be arguing over millions and billions and who's going to pay for this and naming and blaming and shaming, you know, and all of this, (laughs) what they were all leaving on the table was the fact that every country in the world um, is going to be moving toward low-carbon, cleaner, greener, healthier, knowledge-richer technologies, and we're moving into what I call the solar age. And so this current um, total is right on track. It's $8.133 trillion. Um, and this is a new total for us. And if we keep on this way with this trillion dollars or so every year, what we've seen is that it has scaled uh, all of these green technologies, solar, wind, energy efficiency, uh, all of the green technologies, uh, you know, uh, retrofitting buildings and all of this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, electric vehicles, better batteries, all the things that uh, we need to scale in order to reduce their costs. And so now the costs are coming down so fast for all these green technologies that um, they are now putting putting, uh, nuclear and fossil fuels um, aside because there's simply um, more and more electric utilities are turning to wind and solar uh, rather mm-hmm. than uh, coal or oil or nuclear. So uh, this is what's exciting about it, and I'll go into details if you like later. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Hazel. That's just 
so encouraging in the midst of all of the political bickering, even at places like the UN conferences, such as COP21 and then Copenhagen before that, when they couldn't settle on everything except for the, the color of the tea, you know, it's very heartening to see that, in fact, the business people of all the countries virtually in the world are really putting their money where their mouth is and investing. They see the future. They know and, where to put yes. their money. And so Very basically this report of ours focuses, um, it's, it's called Deepening Green Finance. And the interesting thing is that finance now has been the laggard. And basically there's still too many mainstream asset managers um, that are too invested in fossil fuels. And so, you know, all of our wonderful young millennial friends and many of them who are heirs to all kinds of family offices and foundations, yeah. they go to their um, their asset manager um, or their financial advisor and say, hey, we want to make sure that our portfolio is all shifted to green uh, technologies because there's hundreds of them now, wonderful new yeah. companies. And too often, the asset manager or the financial planner says, oh, no, no, that's too risky. And, yeah. and what they don't understand and they don't tell their young millennial uh, client is that the fossil fuels that they're stuck with, that they are even more risky because right. the, now we're realizing that a lot of the fossil fuel assets in people's 401ks and pension funds are having to be written down because this green transition is now moving so fast. And so this is an extraordinary situation where you actually have asset managers now and pension fund managers saying, whoa, whoa, slow down. We have to slow down this green transition because uh, we can't uh, redeploy our assets fast enough because we don't understand these new technologies. And so, of course, what we're doing is trying to push them to get up to speed. And that's what we do with our TV shows and all of our intellectual products Absolutely. at Ethical Markets is really retraining asset managers and financial advisors. Exactly. It's a matter of Largely, it's a matter of education and belief system, which goes right along with it. So I yeah. so appreciate all that you're saying, and I'm heartened and encouraged, Hazel. So, Claudine Schneider, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I enjoyed our, our conversation the other day. You are another major force to reckon with worldwide with what you've been doing for so long. Tell us a little bit about what you've been focusing on lately. Well, lately I have been working with a number of nonprofit organizations because, uh, granted, Hazel has provided much of the optimism, but um, that is no time for us to be complacent. So I am all about action right now. And uh, one of the organizations on whose board I serve is the Citizens Climate Lobby, so that if any of your listeners, no matter where they are located geographically, are interested in being part of the solution, they can just go Google Citizens Climate Lobby, and mm -hmm. um, my, their emphasis is how to maximize personal and political power. And so what they do is they help you write op-ed pieces 
and how to most effectively lobby Congress. And they are an advocate for a carbon fee and dividend. And right now they have about 25,000 members. But one of the most effective things I think they have done in addition to the citizen activism is that they have helped to mobilize 38 members of Congress, half Democrats, half Republicans, to form the House Climate Solutions Caucus. Now, anybody can join a caucus. But what counts is, what is this caucus going to do? These guys and Mm -hmm. women are on the spot now. So I think we all need to lobby them, lean on them, 38 of them. Uh, That's a good number for starters. So that's critically important. Excellent. Excellent. Some of the other things I am doing. In a sense, uh, though, Claudine, what I I hear you saying is that the citizens' climate lobby is sort of wearing two hats. On the one hand, it's demanding um, attention, bringing political attention, congressional attention to the subject of climate change in an atmosphere, in a climate, no pun intended, that is hostile to the subject itself. And you're also inside that um, currying power in the halls of power. Yes, absolutely right, Mitchell. And... (laughs) lest we become too complacent, I think that uh, I just received a notice from Senator Whitehouse, who is now the senator, one of the senators from Rhode Island, the state that I represented for 10 years, and he yeah. has been carrying the <clears throat> banner on climate change. And if you go to at SenWhitehouse, hashtag uh, climate change, you will see a video that outlines the stronghold the Republican Party has on the very well-funded climate denial machine. So mm-hmm. this is essentially uh, an opportunity for every one of your listeners to become better educated about what is currently going on in Congress and in our environment and to be actively engaged because I think so many people after this election woke up and said, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Well, it's, it's the voters' fault we became too complacent. I won't put myself in that category, but I hate mm-hmm. to say you all became too complacent. I don't complacent, think you should, but, right. <laughs> but that's the truth of the matter. And so now yes. is the time for action. It's basically use it or lose it. I mean, the Environmental Protection Agency is under the acts right now. When you cut 50 programs, um, including one of the programs that I passed through Congress, the Energy Star program, which essentially helps consumers know how to buy the most energy-efficient TV, refrigerator, or whatever, um, this builds on the economy. It helps the economy. And so some of the decisions that are being made as we are speaking right now are exceedingly short-sighted. And it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater without really scrutinizing the economic and economic impact of what, what is being done. Yes, absolutely. You know, in light, I, I would like to bring something else up before we kind of open it up to roundtable discussion here, and that is – uh, work that you have done with some of the Fortune 100 and 500 corporations in helping them 
may I say it without sounding too religious, see the light and recognize the <laughs> economic value of being eco-friendly and uh, environmentally attuned with energy efficiency, materials, sourcing materials, etc. Could you share a little bit what you've done in the in the private sector in this way? Absolutely. I have cold called um, about, not about, but actually 50 corporations uh, to ask them what they've been doing with their greenhouse gases. And when entities were responding, well, what do you mean? You know, we're a bank or we're a pharmaceutical company. We don't generate greenhouse gases. I had to start from the very basics of educating them that if they have lights on in their air conditioning and heating, they are part of the problem. So Mm -hmm. um, in letting them know that the most cost-effective move they could make is energy efficiency and helping to guide them to where those energy efficiency savings could be found, um, these 50 corporations, and actually there are many more beyond 50, Ceres, C-E-R-E-S, has been long involved in pulling together corporations to take action. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the companies I recruited included everybody from Target stores to Tiffany's. So if you're listening to this, Go to these stores. This is where you should be spending your money. And thank them for having an ongoing program of reducing their greenhouse gas. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You know, and for all the service that you did. I'm sorry? I was just going to add on to what Hazel had been saying. But, you know, whether we're taking our investments out of fossil fuels, and one easy way to do it, I also work with Divest Invest. So if you have investments, you can go to their website, Divest Invest, and log in and find out if you have any fossil fuel uh, money invested and how to shift that into the green economy. And so far, $2.6 billion has already been moved out of fossil fuel. So this is another good way to change the world by your investments, by shopping at Target and some of the other stores that are actually (laughs) reducing their greenhouse gases. But probably first and foremost is to walk your talk. If you care about the climate, then it's essential that you not only lobby Congress, but there are a couple of other easy steps you can take, and that is make sure that every light in your house has been changed to either LED or compact fluorescent because you will be Mm -hmm. immediately taking positive action. If you're buying a new car, and one one part of my legislation that did not pass but President Obama picked up on was um, what he called cash for clunkers, and that was an effort to get the gas guzzlers off the highway and um, replace them with more fuel-efficient automobiles. So if you're buying a car, ask, what's the current mileage that this car will get? I will tell you that when I was in Congress between 1980 and 90 on the Science Research and Technology Committee, we had uh, technology leaders tell us that the cars could be getting 70 miles per gallon. And I asked the question, why aren't we getting 70 miles per gallon in the 1980s? 
And the response was, well, we're just the engineers. We don't set the direction for the companies. But once again, this gets to car buyers. We can put pressure. Um, there is a car now that gets 59 miles per gallon, the Hyundai. And, you know, the Tesla, of course, is moving right along. So there are many, unfortunately, though, as the private sector, the marketplace is moving in this direction. The EPA is planning on cutting the 36 miles per gallon for cars and light trucks as a requirement. That is absolutely absurd. My feeling is if we have the technology to achieve progress, then we should use that technology. So absolutely. these are some of the key things that we could be doing. Yeah. yeah. It seems so uh, can retro I jump in, in so minute? many ways. Yeah, please, Hazel. Oh, yeah, because um, I'm I'm happy that you're in, uh, involved with the Divest uh, Invest people. And I talked to their president. We had a very long conversation, uh, as I have had with Bill McKibben over the last year or so, um, who organized the students into 350.org. And I was pleading with uh, the, the, the person at... Um, uh, divest invest to say please please the same as I was telling Bill McKibben uh, talk, go from don't don't even talk about divest just talk about shift the investments yeah. into because mm-hmm. if you tell um, a pension fund manager to divest from fossil fuels you know what they do they say, oh, okay, well, I can buy, uh, let's buy electric utilities then, or we'll buy Walmart or Monsanto. Mm-hmm. You have to tell them to shift yeah. to green, and that's why we do the Green Transition Scoreboard, because we show there are hundreds and hundreds of wonderful investable companies where we've technologies and we know their state-of-the-art technologies. And for some reason or other, um, you know, uh, the the it, it's one of the, you know when movements get going. I know it's very hard for them to uh, put a new uh, sort of directive out there, but it would help so much, Claudine, if you could just emphasize, uh, you know, just yes. to tell them to shift to the green yes. economy. Yes. So, Agreed. you know, uh, the reason that we yes. have focused on finance is because corporations, unfortunately, are puppets of finance. They all have their stocks uh, listed on the big uh, public exchanges, and the security analysts uh, are always on their, on their tails, you know, to keep their stock price up. And so this is what pushes them into that short-termism. You know, it's how they're going to report to the stock holders in the next quarter, which means that they're not looking further down the road the way they should be, and they're leaving a lot of very good investments on the table, um, just because they've, they're, and, and not only short-termism, uh, often it is backing into the future looking for the rearview rear mirror. See, that's mm-hmm. what we have with the Trump cabinet. Practically every member of uh, President Trump's cabinet um, is basically um, in the 19th century and 20th century fossil fossilized economy, and there are their interests. They're, they're the people that um, you know they get their uh, campaign contributions from, 
and and so uh, they're trying to turn the economy back, you know, bring back coal jobs. I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, there's less than 100,000 jobs in coal in the entire USA, whereas we have our new number is 3 million jobs in um, green uh, in green, green energy alone. And worldwide now there are 8 million jobs in renewable energy. And, you know, th- this is so tragic. But the one thing that so is hopeful retro, about this... so retro. It's yeah, regressive. but the hopeful, the hopeful thing <clears throat> is that what we have discovered in this report is that it doesn't matter. Uh, it would be ridiculous, but uh, it wouldn't change anything if the Trump administration is stupid enough to pull out of the climate change agreement made in Paris in 2015, the COP21 agreement, because... 194 other countries that committed to these national development um, uh, commitments they've already made to to stop uh, subsidizing fossil fuels. They are now investing in the green economy, and they're going to just go right on doing it. And so it means that China now is already leading. They are the major exporters of solar panels. That's one of the reasons the prices are going down. So rapidly, they're the major exporters of wind generators, of electric vehicles. And all that's happening is that the U.S. that invented a lot of these technologies, we're being left behind. That's right. That's right. They control the the market share. Claudine. Yes, and this is all the more reason that we have to lobby Congress. We have to be actively engaged. It's not enough to just say, well, with me, you know, China is eating our lunch and put up a barrier or whatever. But the bottom line is we have to elect people who have our interest at heart, and that has not been happening. And sadly, there has been so much focus on the president and his administration But there has been very little focus on members of Congress. And when I was elected to Congress, there was a common saying that was that the president proposes and the Congress disposes. And the American Mm -hmm. people, unfortunately, do not understand that the president can say all kinds of things, but it is dependent upon the people that we elect to change things. They're the only real change agents that can make a huge difference. Now, I also want to point out that 95% of the same members of the House and the Senate keep getting elected. So that means that the voters are asleep at the voting box. And so we have to scrutinize our members of Congress. There's a real easy way to do it. You can go to votesmart.org and that's the website that some of my colleagues and I, my former members of Congress, got together. And we founded that organization. We were co-founders to make sure that citizens knew behind the scenes what members of Congress were voting on and not voting on. And I must say, in looking at the body that I was so proud to be a part of, there is so much emphasis on what's you know, am I supporting the party or am I supporting the president? We never ask that question. The question we always ask mm-hmm. is, is this in the best interest of the people? 
of the people. Why aren't they yeah. asking that? Absolutely. That Claudine, this is a very good point, but, you know, I would be wary of simply pointing the finger at voters because, number one, the American people, for lots of reasons, are altogether too complacent about everything. They've been materialized, if you know what I mean. They've been consumed by consumption. That's a whole conversation in itself. But I even wanted to just come around to the idea of the structure of the system itself, meaning gerrymandering and yep. the power of incumbency and the corporatization of the Congress uh, with the number of uh, hours spent dialing for dollars of every single congressperson yeah. per day, not even just per week, but per day. When you add all of this up and sneaky business and dirty tricks on top of it all, you have and Citizens a, United, you know, got to repeal right, that exactly. too. Citizens United, when you've got all yeah. of this that's set up, actually literally set up, for incumbents to win over and over again and makes it so hard for a Congress or third parties on every single level to have any kind of traction. So anyway, so I just Mitchell, wanted to bring those Mitchell, points to bear. Yes, but Mitchell, if you say yes. it's so hard, people will just fold their arms and go back to watching their screens and just give yes. up. What I am saying is imagine and then act on what you want. You know, many famous people have said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I'm reiterating that because the bottom line is that, I mean, I ran in a district where the registration was 15 Democrats to every Republican. And I Mm -hmm. ran as a Republican. And I, after my second try, I won. But, you know, anything is possible. But, if there were ever a time for citizen activism, it's great that we're all marching in the streets, and next Saturday is the People's Climate Movement, since this is Climate yes. Week we're talking about. The Climate about. March. Saturday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Saturday is the Climate March, and so it's incumbent upon us not only to demonstrate by marching, but to demonstrate by moving our dollars, by shopping with our dollars with, you know, climate responsible corporations. And when we do go to vote, look closely at whom we are voting for. It is not impossible. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yes. I agree, Claudine, with the entire (laughs) essence and impetus of what you're saying. I just wanted to point out some of the structural issues that make it yeah. difficult and allow Congress people to remain in office long after they should have been uh, retired onto the golf course. You know, that was the point. Well, let me make the point. I have to let everyone know. I'm sorry? Or you mean to the, not to the golf courses, to the lobbying office. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, you're right, exactly. You are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin, your host. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m., although I know most of you do listen in archive at abetterworld.tv, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, A Better World TV uh, newsletter that comes out announcing our TV show every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and our guests on the radio show at this time. So please uh, take your 
a moment and go to that website and check into what you'll see there. And we've got a very rich archive, and <clears throat> you will really have a special time. So with that said, uh, I'd like to come back to you both. I, I'm appreciating the points that both of you are making very much in this in this discussion. It's all sort of like different facets of the same diamond. We all want to further and advance the cause of green thinking, if you will, and of dealing with this issue of climate change by energy efficiency and photon awareness and all of the things that we have been parading for the longest time. So, Hazel, you're deeply involved in finance. It, what you were saying was interesting to me because we all know that Congress is largely controlled by by um, the corporatocracy, if you will, and money, on yeah. one hand, and yeah. finance controls the corporations. That, that was a yes, part yes. of the food chain I, I did not really <laughs> cognize. So that's yeah, really you see, I mean, you, you know, uh, I I started um, as a community organizer and activist in New York City in the 60s, yeah. uh, co-founding a group called Citizens for Clean Air, you know. And yeah. uh, my gosh, I mean, so I, as I kind of tried to find the right entry points, you know, for my best efforts, I realized, you know, first of all, I joined up with Ralph Nader and we went to annual meetings of, of General Motors and he had a campaign called Campaign to Make General Motors Responsible, and that was where I learned about stockholder action. You know, we mm -hmm. bought shares of stock and went to the annual meetings and got thrown out and all the rest of it. And then <laughs> uh, the next thing was that I began to realize, hey – Media is incredibly important, and one of my books yeah. that came out in 1966 was called Building a Win-Win World, and I went back and looked at that chapter that I wrote then called Mediocracy and the Attention Economy, and what I was saying was that even back then in the 1990s, it didn't matter what form of government you happened to live under, whether it was a democracy or a republic or a federation or autocratic, um, we all live in mediocracies and that they really control the game. And uh, one of the reasons that we have Donald Trump as president is that he knew about media. Is very good at that. And so yeah. that's one of the reasons that when I started Ethical Markets, uh, I, I knew that the story of the green economy that we uh, publish in the Green Transition Scoreboard could never get through onto mainstream media, particularly financial media, because all their advertising came from fossilized sectors of the economy. And so that's why we have been global and internet-based, and our TV shows are di distributed globally. And so I, at that time, 11 years ago now, uh, founded the Ethic Mark Awards for advertising that uplifts the human spirit in society. And both yes. of you, I'm grateful, are um, are involved. And, um, mm -hmm. and Mitchell is uh, one of our illustrious global um, judges for, for our awards. And Claudine is on our executive committee and helped to announce the winners 
uh, last year. And so these winning campaigns, most of them have been coming from outside the USA. And they are redefining what advertising can be. And, you know, uh, media in our constitution is the fourth estate. Yeah. absolutely vital part of our government. And if we allow advertising to steer the content of our mass media and our news and distort it the way it often does, it's not surprising that it's pretty difficult. So now uh, what we found is that every year that we've been giving this award, we have these incredibly inspiring campaigns. And, you know, uh, as Claudine uh, was presenting, uh, and if you remember, Claudine, you know, there was about 600 corporate executives at that uh, exactly. uh, conference, and they love it, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, they went crazy, and everyone said, you know, wonderful. The winners were from all outside the United States. When are we going to get advertising that truly reflects a, a higher standard, a higher quality. So, yes, uh, this, this is yet another initiative that Hazel has spearheaded and has really blossomed throughout the years. But once again, we need more and more people if you're working in advertising, if you're working in public relations. Um, we need to grow our numbers further, faster is the bottom line. Yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the whole exactly thing is true. that that advertising, global advertising, spends $570 billion a year, and most of it is miseducation about consumerism and you're no good unless you buy a new car or a new dress or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sort of psychological manipulation and, and all of that. And basically, this is kind of the global education system. And yet, we have shown with all of our winners and you can go to ethicmark.org uh, if you want to look at these winning campaigns. And they are so amazing and inspiring. And that they, they just show how advertising could educate the whole world's consumers towards sustainability. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I so, well, look, I've been involved in media formally since 1993, Hazel. And so I, I completely get where you're coming from. And interestingly, I tell you, it's funny. When I first started, after I finished graduate school in psychology, my first job was at NW Air, one of the largest oh, advertising agencies in the world. And I was so, pardon the expression, green behind the ears. I remember I was doing like editing and writing and proofreading for them. Not in the creative department, unfortunately, but other places. And I remember seeing that the U.S. Army was one of their clients. And I was so young, I was appalled that we were spending tax dollars on promoting the Army. Everybody knows the Army is there, and if you want to go in, you go in. But dare they consume our dollars for advertising themselves. But it was then that I recognized the power of advertising. Um, yeah. And I, I had to get out after a while, but I always had this idea in mind of forming something called a better world advertising and PR, you know, because uh, yes. based on what both of you are saying, 
the power and of is course, so much and of it too has been greenwashing. See, that was how oh, I yes. got involved in this because, as an as an environmental activist, um, we had a group um, in Washington called Environmental Action, which was a coalition along with Ralph Nader and all of these folks in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And we used to have um, there was a magazine that we put out called Environmental Action, and we had a double spread every issue of what we called um, advertising pornography. And it was kind of environmental greenwashing where you'd have a big oil company with a full page ad of a beautiful marsh and birds flying around. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, completely. (laughs) And and so, you know, so the thing is that what I decided was, okay, um, because uh, it's very hard to confront advertising um, uh, directly because they hide behind the First Amendment. And they say, oh, you're trying to stop free speech. Yeah. So that's why I set it up as a carrot, a, the, you know, the Ethic Mark Awards, a, rather than a stick. And so the carrot yeah. is now working. And we're getting, actually, our nominations are open right now. So if anyone finds an ad that they think is really exemplary and teaches yeah. people what we need to know um, in order to have a healthy planet in the future, please go to ethicmark.org and nominate it. The, the nomination yeah. process is very, very easy. Well, well you know something, you. The, thing, the thing that I find so fascinating, the only entity in, that I know of is Subaru that talks about, you know, doing good things for the environment. But in my little list of 50 corporations, I mean, there is no reason why some of them should not be advertising that they are taking action on climate change, reducing their greenhouse gases. I mean, and it lets consumers know that they're good companies, such as Staples and uh, White Wave Foods and Tiffany's and um, even companies like Kimberly Clark and Johnson Controls and Hasbro Toys, Estee Lauder, Clorox, you know, Campbell Soup. These are all companies that I enlisted. I know they're doing great things to reduce their greenhouse gases. They've got energy-efficient programs in place now, and they're constantly being as efficient as they possibly can. Why? Because they're saving a lot of money by doing that. And the bottom line is that that money could be invested in advertising for the good. So any consumers out there, you know, contact Coors, contact Dell Computers, some of those other companies that do advertising and urge them to, you know, let the public know what they're doing on climate change publicly. And also, uh, you know, our senator, Senator Whitehouse, whom I mentioned, who is really leading on climate change, he is so frustrated that the corporate world is doing good things in many respects, but they're refusing to speak up about it. And this is what we need to do, push the corporations because Claudine, I'd like to ask you, when you did those 50-plus cold calls, what level of management did you reach? And when you got in the door, was it your personal discussions with individual managers that 
ultimately brought about the change or what? Yes. Okay. So um, each one of these Deconstruct were cold calls. And, uh, well, and what I did was I identified a number of corporations, some of the largest corporations in the U.S., that were um, coincidentally in the states of some of the senators and congressmen who are on the energy and or climate-related committees. And I thought, what better move than to get their constituents moving in the right direction so that mm-hmm. those corporations do, in fact, lead the Congress. I will mobilize the leaders. So the cold call that I made was always to the senior VP of Environment, Health, and Safety. Now, there are many sustainability directors or chairmen or whatever. So um, those are the folks that I contacted. And how did I approach them? I started by, before I even made the call, I decided that I was going to learn as much as I could about the company itself um, what its motivations were, its product line, who the competitors were, etc. So if mm-hmm. I was talking to Baxter Pharmaceuticals, I said, by the way, Merck Pharmaceuticals is uh, considering becoming a climate leader, and I hope you'll also join. So, um, mm-hmm. And my emphasis in discussing it, however, was on the economics. I illustrated specifically how much could be saved by replacing their motors, their refrigeration system, and giving examples of, you know, other companies who had made such moves. And as we know, money talks. So the message was primarily economic, but then I also introduced the element of competition with their competitors because we know competition is also a motivator. A little peer pressure. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I said, um, using the stick, I said, you know, it's very possible that someday we'll have legislation requiring you to, so why not be a leader and move forward on something you and I have agreed is going to be cost-effective as well as favorably received by your consumers. So that's pretty much, in a nutshell, the approach that I use. And um, as I said, it's you know, so everybody's on... I love it. Yes. Yeah. It just right. Well, yes. I, I hope you're. I wanted you to spell that out for our audience so they can see what it it takes and what the details are of simply dialing a phone number and getting someone yes. uh, like the senior VP on the line and having a conversation. And that's a point that I really like to make to my audience. And I think I did that when you and I were together, Hazel, at your place in November. I I tell people, it looks like there are institutions. It looks like there's a government. It looks like there are uh, institutions of all sorts. But I tell them, really, that what there are is people. People are behind, just like Oz, when Dorothy and the lion and the Tin Man came up and they were scared out of their mind when they opened the doors to Oz with all of the fire. But what did Toto do, which of course means all in Latin, went around and pulled back the screed. And what was there (laughs) but a person, right? And so when you reach people... 
this is my kind of psychological perspective on things. When you reach people, you have a chance to speak human, you know, and you can reach the heart of people in the dialogue of what makes good, green, common sense. Right, oh, I so agree. You know, I have a little story um, along the same lines because back in the 1980s, you know, when I had uh, written this book called The Politics of the Solar Age, which was really my experience of six years as a science uh, policy advisor uh, in Washington, you know, at the National yes. Science Foundation and uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Office of Technology Assessment. And so I was invited to do corporate seminars Seminars, and mostly uh, they would be with the board of directors or the executive committee, and I would be able to go to these. and all, all was very chic watering holes, you know, that um, where they meet, <laughs> and um, basically you would sit down with a board of directors or an executive committee, and you would always find there was one or two of them that really um, would kind of follow me out of the meeting. Um, And uh, even if they had been attacking me during the meeting, uh, they would would say, you know, guess what? I'm leaving this goddamn company. I never forget, there was one executive of an oil company, (laughs) and he was giving me a terrible hard time. We were at a conference, you know, in... um, outside of Houston and there was all the 90 country managers of this big oil company and uh, uh-huh. and and I I thought um oh god let me get out of here you know and I was waiting to be picked up to go to the airport and I went in the swimming pool and this guy was swam up to me and I thought oh no no please you know <laughs> and that was when he said well guess what I'm leaving this goddamn company and I've bought a farm in New Zealand <laughs> and so oh, what I what I found was almost every corporate seminar I ever did there was somebody like that in senior management um who was dying to drop out and yeah. would get in touch yeah. with me later and say look I I want to help what can I do to help you so we Beautiful. do need our allies the human beings inside those companies just those same people you know that uh, Claudine would have the guts to cold call it, you know they're yeah. there exactly and this is the, the point I wanted I would... to bring forward yes thank you yeah the other thing Claudine. I want to mention is that that I did not a little footnote to this story, I did not mention that I had been a member of Congress. Basically, when I called these people, they had no idea who I was. But I really (laughs) had done my homework beforehand. So, you know, the other thing I want to emphasize is persistence. I don't want to make this sound like it was easy because it took months and months and months. And even working, working with Raytheon, I said, well, when I call you next week, you know, um, I'll look for, shall we talk on Tuesday? But I was always persistent, um, even Very having important. to put, put together, together the briefing material that they would present to the board, that the board yes. would have to make the whole decision to join. So it wasn't easy, yeah. but, you know, there are many steps that your listeners can take. And I just want to emphasize the importance today 
of political action on climate. Marching this Saturday has great value. But looking closely at your elected officials and the Citizens Climate Lobby gives you the opportunity to get trained in how to be an effective lobbyist and an effective writer of op-ed pages. So definitely Fantastic. Well, I think it's fantastic. That, yes. That's so I important, have, Claudine. Yeah. Yes. So and, and you know, look at that uh, look at that race um in uh, the Atlanta suburb for the seat that for yes. Mr. Price, Dr. Price, you know, is now at ATW. Right. Uh, I mean that you know, uh, I mean he still may take that seat away, you know. I mean it, so I I agree there's plenty of openings really when we organize and uh, and you know, when you saw that um the the number of people who go now to the town hall that politicians yes. have, that's changing their minds too. Well, yes, let me exactly. tell you. Because that's the human interaction someone. yet again. That's yeah. the yes. human face-to-face, belly-to-belly that Absolutely. gives them a sense of reality. Claudine. Well, I also want to emphasize that whether it's the town meetings or writing to your elected official or showing up at a uh, to vote, there is an organization that I think is phenomenal called Indivisible, and they will notify you, you each bet. week as to some of the actions taking place in Congress that would require your involvement. I mean, you know, many people are probably part of a whole slew of nonprofit organizations, but Indivisible is nonpartisan and it is based on American values. So those issues that are taking away our freedom, that are addressing the things that we have taken for granted, are being highlighted by Indivisible. So I think yes. that that is another organization, Indivisible, you know, dot. So I know, Mitchell, I've mentioned a whole number of different organizations here because it helps provide the focus to your listeners. Absolutely. And one of I hope you're not going to give us a quiz on it. That's all I'm wondering about. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that can no, go to your website, is. too. Make sure. What's the yeah. best website for you, Claudine? Um. Well, there isn't one. I think the best thing that the listeners could do, I mean, I have Claudine Schneider um, dot whatever. Dot well, I'm going to take these. Right. I'm going to call these various websites. I've I've taken notes, actually. Oh, I've been a good. very good student here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to list them on a betterworld.tv. Good. Well, yeah, I'd that's be, terrific. Yeah, I'd be happy to help you with that, Mitchell, because Oh, that would be great. Um, for example, Indivisible great. has written a handbook, a short handbook, about 24 pages that is so comprehensive. And the people who yes. put it together are former congressional staff people. So it's outstanding. But you had also mentioned Excellent. a number of obstacles to our success. And I just want to emphasize, I was in Washington a couple of weeks ago, and I came back so empowered, so impressed, because some of the organizations mm. that I work with, these nonprofits are working around the clock to change what is going on and to improve citizen representation. And one of the things mm. you mentioned was all of the money in campaigns. Well, yes. there are about 170 former members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, 
And we are all working together under the auspices of issue one. We're called the reformers, and we are working to change campaign finance reform. And if we can't flip Citizens United tomorrow, then we're working to change it in the state, state by state. That's what we have to do. Fabulous. So there are many, many, many groups doing phenomenal things, and I am honored to be a part of many of them because I feel that we're all on this earth for a purpose. And it's very clear to me that part of our purpose is to leave this planet better than we found it. And I right. I believe that at this moment in time, we are at a turning point. It's either make it or break it. And it is, this is my call to everyone to take action, to preserve your rights, uh, become a part of Indivisible, act on climate now because this is no joke. The forest fires that have been plaguing the West here are unbelievably impacting our economy. We cannot possibly have huge tax cuts if we're going to continue FEMA and if we're going to continue other elements of our government that we that we depend on. Those will go away. So they we will. have yes. to be actively engaged at this moment. And, now, don't you, you know, Mitchell, don't you wish yes. that we had more members of Congress like Claudine? Imagine that oh, we God. had Claudine Schneider you representing us in Congress for 10 years. So we know really? that she's a model. She's a model. I tell she's you. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, I wish you could I, I clone yourself or something. <laughs> well, this is what I'm attempting to do with your wonderful radio show, Mitchell, because you are spreading the word, and there is nothing more important than helping to get the word out, and yeah. that is that yeah. we, we all have enormous potential. We just have to take a risk and stretch a little bit and yes. realize that we need to leave this planet better than we found it, and that should be our driving right. force. Definitely. Now, That's I right. have another one, That's another right. organization I work closely with, uh, Mitchell, which you can add, and that is the yes, American please. Sustainable Business Council. And they mm-hmm. represent several thousand small sure. businesses all over the USA who c- are committed to the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. They are committed to the COP21-22 uh, uh, climate um, uh, ag- agreements that were made in Paris. Yes. And uh, and so they now uh, really they were founded by two friends of mine about ten years ago, and now they have their own uh, lobbying operation in uh, Congress, and they're meeting with Congress people all the time, pushing them to to enact a carbon tax, to do away with subsidies to fossil fuels, and uh, and yeah. uh, you know to put back the funding that we need, you know a, a shock shocking thing uh, and this, uh, I remember when I first uh, came to the USA, I'm an immigrant from Britain who became a citizen in the 60s, and I was mm-hmm. horrified to find back then there were 20 million American adults who were illiterate, oh, who God. could not read the label on a bottle of poison. Uh, 
And that was a, oh. a, 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 something I got from Senate committees. And I was just unbelievably horrified. And you know what? The new statistic is there are now 33 million American adults who are oh, illiterate. No. You see, now we have let. I hate to say it. One of them, I think, is the president of the United States. But you see, we've let our education system um, be dependent on people's zip codes, and that's no way to run an education system. And so, you know, the 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 whole thing about paying teachers properly uh, and opening up education in the way my friend Jean Houston has been writing about for years and years. I mean. You know, um, we can't turn the whole thing over to charter schools because they just bleed money away from public education. Uh, and sure. so, you know, we've got this um, woman, Betsy Voss, who's uh, um, a, an enormously wealthy family, the Prince family from the Netherlands. Yeah. Her, her brother um, is president Eric of Prince. that um, Blackwater group, you know, that um, that assassinated all of those um, Iraqi civilians. Iraqi. Um, and then she married uh, into another in, in immensely wealthy the Amway family, family. Mamway, and and she knows nothing about public education. So you know, uh, basically, we uh, I think public education uh, that's something that on all the polls you do of American people, public education comes out as the highest priority. With with yeah. enormous, I think it's in the sixty sixty five percent range. And so, you know, that is one of the things that we're also going to have to take responsibility for. Well, I think that if we, if we had more if we had more emphasis on education and science, um yeah. we wouldn't be in the, the climate fix that we're in of right course, now. That's absolutely. I fear we are looking at all of these issues in silos, and every one of these issues is connected to another. So when you consider that the average college graduate now is carrying average about $34,000 in debt, $34,000 clearly linked to decreased homeownership, to marital problems, yeah, Bernie or, Sanders is very good on that issue. Of, of yes, problems that are going to have to be addressed by the government. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely and, right. And you make, Claudine, you make a very important point implicitly, which is that there is a food chain. Everything is a cycle, and everything is connected to everything else. So if you have yes. a poor education, that's one thing leading to illiteracy, like you were saying, Hazel. Then yeah. even with a decent education, if you have the financial structure set up the way we do, where people, banks are profiting so heavily on students, which is our we, who are our future, our and future. so they yes. finish college, they can't get a job, they move back home, they're still in debt, they're saddled with the debt that you were describing, Claudine. What kind of forward movement are we going to get there 
It's exactly. And you know, most of most of the other advanced countries, um, including China, um, you know, their um, higher education uh, education is free. It's a public good. It is the major yeah. investment that every society makes in its future. It is um, exactly. an educating the next generation. I mean, China um, uh, graduates one million PhDs in science and physics and engineering annually. One million PhDs. Unbelievable. You know, and and it's States, all free. Yes. In the United States, only a fourth of the American citizens have gone to college. I mean, yeah. I was oh, shocked gosh. when I learned that. Only yes. one fourth. So radio Amazing. programs like your own hopefully provide, you know, educational content and with links to some, you know, more in-depth websites, we can help yes. inform, educate, inspire, and motivate, you know, citizens to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. Exactly. And I wasn't, I didn't, I was saying it slightly tongue-in-cheek, but quite honestly, I'm very deeply saddened by it, as I believe we all would when I said about even our President of the United States is considered functionally illiterate. And I, I was saying it a little playfully, but I actually unfortunately really meant it, because there are serious issues, and I've heard interviews on radio about this about people who know him well and we all know it's a public piece of information that he will not read details of the of the legislation he insists upon bullet points only and relatively short bullet points at that and not more than nine per page so we we actually have a serious problem and again it's a full circle thing uh, so many of the people that, with all due respect, voted for Donald Trump are themselves not very well educated. Yes, indeed, there are exceptions, so please understand. I know that. Um, and yet, at the same time, if you look at the majority of Americans with these statistics that you were both kind of trotting out of illiteracy and lack of college – we see why, we understand why this is biting us in the you-know-what right now with who is the president and therefore who is the cabinet and therefore who is in charge right now of the EPA who doesn't even believe that climate change exists. Exactly. You know, yes. who, who sued yeah. the EPA 14 times on behalf of fossil fuel companies right. when he so was let, governor. You know, I think what we have to do is to take this all as an incredible wake-up call. And, you yeah. know, I think for for generations, really, this last generation, um, you know, uh, we did get very complacent. I mean, we, you know, I, I think, you know, of being an early feminist as I was, you know, after I read Betty Friedan's book and all of that. Mm-hmm. And now the current generation, uh, they sort of take it for granted, you know, that um, everything yeah. is fine. And that was, uh, but these things can erode. And if you look yes. at what just happened in Turkey, where um, they, they, the, the, the population by a very slim majority, it was about 51%, uh, gave the president back all the powers that, that they were a democracy. 
started yeah. by Ataturk, you know, a hundred years ago. And they were a secular society with highly educated people. And, and yet they turned their society back over to a dictatorship. And the first person who called up was Donald Trump yeah. to congratulate Erdogan on his victory, and that I mean, not a, uh, not a single other head of state, a major democracy, um, ha, well, has um, call. you know, called him. I, I mean, yeah. it, it was like um, the uh, there were only four um, desperately poor uh, autocratic countries, you know, at the bottom, almost failed states. They were the only four that called up to congratulate him, oh, along gosh. with. Donald Trump. Well, you so know, we you we have to up, we have to wake up and realize well, that you know the time is now. Once yeah. again, I Claudine. want to shift, I want Thank to shift you, this conversation away from the presidency and the administration because there are limited things we can do now about that, but there are mm-hmm. things that we can do now with the Congress. And You're right. I just learned yeah. of a bill that was introduced by Congressman Chris Stewart from Utah uh, related to the Science Advisory Board Reform Act, which says that basically scientists who know subject matter are not going to be able to testify, that they are only going to be listening. And if you have any peer-reviewed papers, on a particular topic, you won't be able to advise the Congress or EPA. So this is shutting the door to, and the sad thing is, it passed uh, already in the House 229 to 191. Amazing. So we need to wake up and pay attention. Yes, we really have to. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Sure. One other thing that's important to know, because I often get the question, well, Claudine, what do we do if we're not going to burn coal, you know, and what are our options? As a consultant recently, I worked with a gentleman who had been working at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He had been the president of the the United, excuse me, the International Meteorological Society, and um, NOAA, as well as the National Renewable Energy Lab, put together a technology and economic study which found that today, this very day, 80% of our electricity could be provided by only wind and solar. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I can verify that. Yeah. If we could only yes. choose you know, those two, we could have 80% of and The most important piece is at cost-competitive prices, at the same price we're paying now. And if you go to certain states, uh, coal is the same price as wind, or solar is the same price as coal. And I recently learned that in all of all places, the Kentucky Coal Museum in Kentucky decided to put solar panels on their building in order oh, to lower the electrical cost. Oh, I love it. So, oh, that is so perfect. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we now, I mean, so perfect. Yeah, we 
have all the technology we need uh, at the right price. We don't need, actually, we don't need much more research. All we actually have to do, according to our latest study, um, which everybody can download for free at ethicalmarkets.com, we are saying, and I've got hundreds of footnotes in there, so, you know, of all of the evidence mm-hmm. that I've pulled together, that we can really shift to 100% renewable-based economies between, uh, some are saying as early as 2030, but uh, definitely, of course, by 2050. And so we yeah. know that we can do this. And where what got me on my path and why I wrote The Politics of the Solar Age, which is now in 800 libraries around the world in 25 languages. So, you know, um, I must have, uh, I was looking at this battle that has been going on for 30 years between the incumbent industries of the 19th and 20th century and fossil fuels, nuclear, automobiles, you know, and all of that. And basically, I remember the first meeting I went to as an advisor to the U.S. Office of Technology Assessment. Um, one of the people there who was the head of the Midwest Research Institute at the time, and he went on to be the administrator of NASA, Jim Fletcher was his name, and mm-hmm. he told us all that this was 1975, and he said, you know, if we had put as much money into subsidizing solar, wind, and energy efficiency, and ocean thermal, um, you know, all of the other technologies, yeah. geothermal, that we could have been 100% renewably resourced uh, driven economy in the USA right then in 1975. Oh. So we've been able to do this for 30 years. And what we have to do really is to say to all those 19th century industries, okay, wonderful, you brought us all the way. We, you know, Thank we're you honoring the. We're honoring the the role of coal, and we don't need it anymore. You know, nukes are now far too expensive. We never figured out how to do it in the market. Slightly dangerous. Gigantic subsidies and all of this, you know. And uh, and so it's just a matter of getting this conversation um, so that everybody understands that, yes, indeed, we have all the solutions that we need. And that's what indeed. my life has actually been about for the last 40 years. So please, uh, anyone who really wants the evidence to wave to wave around, uh, go to our website and download this report. And it's not that long. It's only about 40 pages. <laughs> and uh, please. Well, I'd also like That's to wonderful. mention that, that Hazel is responsible for my wake-up call because as a young woman who happened to hear her uh-huh. speak and then to buy the politics of the solar age in the 1970s, I was blown away, and I thought, wow, this is really possible. And I think that people need to know what is possible. Hazel painted the vision. She documented it. And now, over all these years, many of us um, have moved her agenda into action. And now, you know, we're reaping some of the benefits. But like I said, and we've all agreed, This is a turning point if we don't keep at it at this moment. I mean, one of my 
you know, I mentioned earlier the Energy Star program when yes. the scientists and the researchers from Lawrence Berkeley Lab and some of the other national labs over which my committee had jurisdiction came forward and said, look, our appliances could be so much more efficient. And I said, well, why aren't we doing it? And they said, well, there's been no legislation, no pressure, you know, no action. Mm-hmm. Well, corporations get complacent after a while. So right. I, I, I called right. in, you know, Frigidaire and Maytag and a bunch of the CEOs because at that time I was in a position where I could do that. And I said, gentlemen, why aren't you more energy efficient? And they just said, oh, well, it will cost too much and we can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, to the contrary, you know, let's get going. And either you're with me or against me, but we're going to pass this legislation. And uh, they agreed that it was possible, and they jumped on board and did a press conference with me along with the environmental community, and we got, you know, this energy-efficient appliance standards moving. Oh, you were such a pioneer, Claudine. I tell you, I'm so impressed. You know, we just... I love that here. Oh, gosh. I mean, we promote (laughs) Energy Star. I'm so impressed, Claudine. You know, in our very first Truly. TV series that we were put on PBS uh, in 2004, we we promoted Energy Star. We went and interviewed them. I mean, that was such a no-brainer, uh-huh. and yet nobody believed until you did. So bless mm-hmm. you. God bless you. Well, now, now this program, this program is one of the 50 that is on the chopping block that Congress plans on eliminating this week. So all of your listeners ought to call their congressman, and if you need some help, go to Indivisible to know how to talk to a congressman, and um, let your voices be heard because, you know, it's tough enough to go shopping and figure out what has quality and what doesn't. Um, Just because it's by American doesn't mean that it's the best. We'd like to think so, but not always. So we do need this kind consumer oh yes it was wonderful and we we have to we keep really it do. yeah yes indeed so well, listen i, I think we've called isn't it um yeah. I, uh, gee whiz i Perfect hope you'll have day. us back mitchell i will certainly <laughs> do so hazel i look i brought my camera all the way down to saint augustine so oh you have gosh, an idea yeah. of how i feel about you and uh, <laughs> truly a, a leader of the pack. And well, I'm just I so thrilled that uh, that um, you you have gotten Claudine, uh, and and so I I'm I'm just ready any time to jump on another program, uh, and you know we can explore this uh, and all of the exactly. different dimensions. That's right. I think it's so healthy. And I want to bring out in closing uh, the work of Mark Jacobson at Stanford University and the solutionsproject.com, another uh, website yes. for everyone. And I've had Mark on several times also talking about what you were referring to earlier, Hazel, about an actual end date by which we can have, with some political will, Claudine, uh, a fully operational, 100% renewable energy-based economy. And Definitely. certainly that's what we're behind here at A Better World. 
And I just want to thank you both so much. I, I so enjoyed and uh, appreciated the input both of you shared with our audience today. Hazel Henderson oh, well, thank and you Claudine so much. Schneider. I enjoyed Absolutely. it so A real much, treat. Thank you. Yes, Absolutely. thank you again, yeah, I, Claudine. This we'll is be so having much fun. you back. Okay. Indeed. Thank Take care. You both will be back. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again. Bye. Okay, bye-bye now. What a rich, rich dialogue. Bye-bye now. Rich uh, people who are so committed to making a difference in the world, creating a better world, truly who are selfless and thinking of others and thinking of the planet itself and the sentient life on it everywhere. Those are the people that we seek to call forward here at A Better World so we are understanding and relating to our human species and all our brothers and sisters of all sorts across the planet um, in all the different species because they are going rapidly. There is at least a species a day that is literally disappearing from our beautiful Earth right now based on the speed at which we continue to press out greenhouse gases. It's an excess CO2. There's nothing wrong with CO2. We need CO2. It's our O2 CO2 exchange. It's the sheer quantity, the disproportion of it that is causing this imbalance. And nature, as it abhors a vacuum, it abhors an imbalance. So this is the predicament that we find ourselves in today. And both these two, Hazel Henderson and Claudine Schneider, who I've just met recently, and I'm so pleased to get to know her and her body of work and her power uh, in making a difference in the world and especially in the political arena, but obviously you heard way more than that. Um, it's so impressive. So I want to just thank you all for uh listening in. I know you have many choices. I know we have people from all over the world that are listening, which pleases me so much. Australia, South Africa, and uh, UK, and Canada. Just a shout out to you all. Please remember that A Better World is a nonprofit. We are sustaining ourselves through your kind investment in A Better World, and it's all tax deductible here in the U.S. of A. And I want to just remind you also that I do coaching and consulting. If you go to my website, www.mitchellrabin.com, that's both personal and business consulting and coaching, largely in the green and renewable energy sector. And uh, mainly it's communications coaching, ultimately, of how do people relate to one another and create a better world. So on that note, I want to just thank you again for tuning in today and pass this on to your friends and family and others so they can all get the benefit of these shows. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next time.